In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Yesterday, I preached on the final stage of the dark misery from which the gospel delivers us. Death. My death, your death, this world of death. And now today, I turn our attention to the men and women who inhabit this world of death. Sinners. Sin brought death into the world. Sin is a killer. It's my killer. It's your killer. We think our biggest problems... Something like financial war, uh, financial woes, or cancer, uh, or a wayward child, perhaps a bad job, uh, a no job, and so on. But these things uh, are not our biggest problem. These things do not separate us from God. What separates us from God is sin. So my text today is a verse that you just heard. Our text today is a verse that is often said uh, during the season of Lent. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As it concerns that verse, I want to borrow once again from Pascal, the 17th century French mathematician, physicist, but one of the greatest Christian minds that ever lived. And Ponce's Pascal contrasts two primary groups of men and women in the religious world. The righteous who think that they are sinners and on the other hand sinners who think they are righteous. Two primary groups of people. The righteous who think they are sinners and sinners who think they are righteous. And in light of 1 John 1, 8 and 9 I want to talk about both groups Beginning with the second group of men and women, sinners who think that they are righteous because these are the primary groups to which John directs his words. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sinners who think that they are righteous, they are a dime a dozen. We find them in the church. And most emphatically, we find them uh, out, uh, excuse me, we find them outside of the church, but most emphatically, we find them within the church. In fact, sinners who think they are righteous are among the most religious people that you know and I know. I'll give you a classic example in the New Testament of a sinner who thought he was righteous. He, in fact, he's the most famous sinner, probably, of all time, who thought he was righteous. You probably know who it is. I'll tell you who it is. The Pharisee who went into the temple to pray. And you remember his prayer. He said, you know, thank God I'm not like bad people. 
extortionists, tightwads, adulterers, so on and so on. And then he went on to list all of the wonderful things, and there were nice things, all the wonderful things about himself. And you know how Jesus concluded that little parable? The tax collector, who knew he was a vile sinner, in fact, he couldn't even lift up his eyes. He couldn't lift them up, but downward could only beg for mercy. And Jesus determined that he was the righteous one, and most emphatically, <clears throat> not the sinner who thought he was righteous, the Pharisee. Now, the truth of the matter is, most of us, and I certainly include myself, have a little Pharisee blood running through our veins. When it comes to sin, it's just so easy to be deceived. Sin has this subtle power to infect us with spiritual blindness. The ancient prophet Jeremiah said it plainly. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? <clears throat> it's a little bit like a man who came to see me right here at the Advent, upstairs <clears throat> in my office. He's not pre present with us today. I know that because he's dead. He... <clears throat> He died several years ago. God rest his soul. But about five minutes into our talk, in which he was telling me all about the shortcomings of his wife, I felt compelled to ask him that if he thought he himself were a sinner. He thought a moment, and he said, well, technically, yes. <laughs> and I said, you know, I said, okay, would it be okay if I use that sometime in a sermon? He said, go ahead. <laughs> Just in spiritual blindness, do we say, technically, I'm a sinner. I may not be perfect, but surely God will turn a blind eye to the little piccadillos, the little, little petty faults in my life. Well, don't bet a farm on that. Let's think of sinners who think they are righteous. We don't have to guess. Here's what he said. Woe to you, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Jesus had a way with words. Let me ask you a question that is asked on many spiritual retreats. What is it that you think that holds you back from growing in your relationship with God? I ask you that because most folks answer with all the negative things that they can conjure up about themselves. All of the blatant sins of the past that blot our spiritual resumes. But chances are... The things that most separate us from God aren't the terrible things that we have done or do that blot our spiritual resumes. Rather, the things that you all think are good about yourself, like the Pharisee in the temple, your personal piety, your rectitude, which breeds self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is the most consistently condemned sin in the Bible. On a cold, blustery day in coastal Beaufort, South Carolina, a colleague of mine, Jeff, I have his permission, 
was stopped in traffic on a drawbridge. And he saw struggling along the sidewalk of the bridge a poor man who didn't have a coat. Jeff got out of his car. He gave him his newly purchased, very nice down coat. What a Christian thing to do. But Jeff saw something in himself that he was not comfortable with, that he did not like. He called, he found in his heart what he called a self-centered desire that somebody needed to know about this wonderful thing that he had just done. And he resisted his temptation. But he finally gave in and told his wife, who told their neighbor, who told another neighbor, and Jeff said he was sinfully satisfied as he confessed a feeling of self-righteousness. We may appear to be respectful and to be an officer in the mutual admiration society. But here's the bottom line. It comes by way of one of the greatest preachers that ever preached on, on American soil. He's an Englishman. And many times I know I quoted George Whitfield, but I can't resist. In a sermon he preached circa 1755, he had this to say to sinners who think they are righteous. He said, my dear friends, examine your hearts. Was ever the remembrance of your sins grievous to you? Was the burden of your sins intolerable? Did you ever see that God's wrath might really just, justly fall upon you on account of your actual transgressions of God? Were you ever in all your life really, really sorry for your sins? Could you ever see, say, my sins are going over my head and is a burden too much for me? Did you have experienced such a thing as this? If not, for Jesus Christ's sake, don't call yourself a Christian. <laughs> And thus it was that St. John said, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. John saw that it's, it's plenty bad to be full of sinful, sinful faults, but it's a greater bad to be full of them and not recognize it. Because the biblical cure is going to appear optimistic to only one who knows he has the disease. As it has been said, no one who thinks he is healthy is going to be very happy about a free heart transplant. But then what about the other group of men and women in the world? What about the righteous who think they are sinners? Well, these are the people who recognize and feel the sin working in their thoughts and in their words and in their deeds, but by the grace of God. They also recognize the wonders of redeeming love. For you see, if a man feels the weight of sin in his life without knowing the Redeemer, then he must live with regret and die in guilt, as did poor Judas Iscariot. Guilt we don't handle. No wonder pop psychology promises to introduce yourself to your beautiful self. In reality, however, it is the Bible that will introduce you to yourself. And it's not so beautiful. Oh, sure, we are indeed created in the image of God. It doesn't get more beautiful than that, does it? But the Bible is a story about how we've fallen and how we've become marred by sin, each and every one of us, and goes on to tell us the one and only way we ought to be restored. The only one the only one and only way to we are to be made blameless and righteous before God, which is summed up by John, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
Did John say, if we confess our sins, God will cleanse us from almost all of our unrighteousness? I was going to the men's room just before we came up here, and there's a bottle of Lysol disinfectant spray, and it says that this will disinfect 99.9% of bacteria. Suppose John would have said, if you confess your sins, God will cleanse you from 99.9% of your unrighteousness. Then I would still be in a heap of trouble. But God said he would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. That's a radical thing. One time in my life, not long ago, I felt so unworthy. I felt so unrighteous for good reason that I said, I cannot believe that God could possibly hear my prayers. And I actually withdrew from my morning prayers for a little while. And then one Sunday morning, I was out in this little church, in a little country church, where morning prayer was being read. That word, all, touched my soul. God will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the only hope that I have. But thanks be to God, it's the only hope that I need. And so, in conclusion, I don't know on which side of the fence you generally live. You can ask yourself, are you typically like the Pharisee, the sinner who thinks he's righteous? I have to admit, it's mighty easy to slide that over that slippery slope. For example, what, what, what are you most proud of? As for me, I'm proud of my humility. <laughs> but whatever it is, your work ethic, your success, your children whom you raised, whatever it is you're proud of separates you from God. Because pride is a sin, technically. <laughs> Don't be proud. Be thankful. God should get the glory. As Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branch. Apart from me, you or anyone else can do nothing. Point being, it's just so easy to slide over that slippery slope into self-righteousness and just pray that God will open our eyes to the high requirements of the law and for us to know the truth that we all fall woefully and pitifully short. On the other side of the fence, I hope that I am addressing some who are struggling with guilt, struggling with the weight of their sins and their lives. If you feel that you are a sinner, desperately sinner, a bad, perhaps even beyond the embrace of God's grace, I would like to assure you of two things that I am totally positive about. And the first thing is that you are a worse sinner than you think you are. <laughs> and the second thing is that God has never, ever yet turned down a broken and a contrite heart. And the good news of John 1, 1 and 8 and 9 is based on nothing we bring to the table. It's based on a promise, God's promise. And it's the same promise that was yesterday and is today and is forever. Through the atoning death of Jesus Christ on a hard wood of the cross and only 
through the atoning death of Jesus Christ on, hard, on the hardwood of the cross, God is justified in forgiving our sins and cleansing us from all our, un, from all our unrighteousness. May God draw reluctant hearts and now give doubting souls courage to believe this for Jesus' sake. Amen.